Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and uh, I want to come do a little bit of intro for you guys today to kind of explain what's going on. So it's been a little bit since we've done an episode. Uh, to my calculations, I believe that was October 22nd was our last episode. And November just got a little crazy. I was shooting a music video. Nick is in... Uh, hardcore pre-production for a production of White Christmas that the Avalon Foundation in Maryland is throwing. So it's been a little chaotic, and I wanted to make sure I got something out for you guys. And obviously, the um, newest James Bond film has just come out. And I thought I might as well strike while the iron's hot and talk about that because I'm a big James Bond fan. And I do know that some some friends of mine definitely are as well. So I reached out to a good buddy of mine, Mark Krofcheck. Uh Some of you guys might know him as Mark the Movie Man from uh, Special Mark Productions. He also works on the Spoiler Room podcast. He has his uh, review show, The Final Cut. He's a really good dude. I always love talking to him about movies. He was also on our Phantom of the Paradise episode, and I've been on at least two of his ep- his shows as well, talking about Halloween Kills and even Highlander. So I had Mark on, and we thought, let's just talk for Let's just riff for a little bit on No Time to Die, the newest James Bond film, and if we are to be believed the final Daniel Craig film. So, like I said, I wanted to come on and explain kind of what this episode was. It's not quite really a full episode, but it, it so I count it as a bonus episode. But uh, make sure you, you, you stay until the end. Uh, after Mark and I wrap up, you're going to hear a little bit of a review. Uh, sorry, you're going to hear a little review for uh, an Arrow title. I have got the new Arrow release of Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, that I want to talk about. So make sure to stick around to the end so you can hear my review of Phantom of the Mall. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, you can find us everywhere podcasts are listened to. We're on Patreon. I'll be sending out some Patreon goodies before Christmas. It's a good time. And uh, we've also got a new competition going on, or a new giveaway going on on Instagram, where I'm giving away a copy of Weird Wisconsin, the Bill Rebane collection. So head on over to the Instagram and find out how to get your copy today. So thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy. Arrow Films is a leading independent entertainment distribution company established in 1991, operating in the UK, the Republic of Ireland, United States of America, and Canada. Arrow Films is dedicated to supporting upcoming and established filmmakers of dynamic new cinema and developing an inviolable slate of quality films that enjoy a lasting legacy across its award-winning branded labels, channels, and platforms. Arrow Films is also a leading restorer and theatrical distributor of classic and cult horror films, including landmark titles such as the 25th anniversary reissue of Cinema Paradiso, the 15th anniversary reissue of Donnie Darko, and the 30th anniversary reissue of Hellraiser. These lovingly restored films are brought back into cinemas nationwide with brand new look campaigns with wide-reaching distribution, including outdoor event status screenings at various cultural festivals and as one-off bookings in local repertory cinemas and film societies. Arrow Films is also widely considered to be the global market leader in the premium home entertainment market fueled by passionate 
and expert curation aligned with state-of-the-art in-house film restoration, resulting in highly sought-after bespoke Blu-ray editions of classic cult and horror films across its Arrow Video and Arrow Academy branded labels. Beloved by collectors, these ever-expanding brands continue to delight their growing international fan base with regular interactive live events, festival sponsorship, and retail stands presence. Our offering extends to truly limited edition box sets, as well as associated spin-off products, now including books and vinyl records. We are so happy to have Arrow Video as one of our new sponsors. You can find them at www.aerofilms.com. While you're there, be sure to pick up some cool titles. For example, they have the brand new American Werewolf in London collection, which is beautiful. The complete Sartana collection, Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, Toys Are Not For Children, a new edition of Al Pacino's Cruising, and let's not forget a limited edition copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and a limited edition copy of RoboCop. There's so much more I can't even get into them all, but trust me when I say they're fantastic and we couldn't be happier to have them. So once again, visit Aerofilms at www.aerofilms.com and check out all of their brands from Aero Video, Aero Academy, Aero Films, and Aero TV. What are you drinking over there, Mark? Is that is that is that a uh, beer? Is that no? Apple juice? Uh, well, it's a cider. It's uh, cider boys because they're out of uh, Stevens Point, where I'm at, out of the St- Stevens Point Brewery. Uh, they've got a new one. It's a it's a grape, it's a grape uh, something, a grape blend cider, like grape and grape apple. Blend. Yeah, Concord grape and apple. I think. Um, not quite sure. Uh, or strawberry, maybe I forgot what it is, but it's a new one that they just came out with that we're trying. My my wife didn't like it too much, but uh, care for it. But yeah, it kind of tastes like um, sparkling grape juice if you ever had it with just a little bit of uh, alcoholic edge to it. So it's not okay. too bad. So that actually sounds like back when I used to drink, I feel like I would have been all over that. Like <laughs> my whole thing was like when I drank, I I, I very very much felt like JD from a from scrubs where sure. I'm like, I, I just didn't want to like taste the alcohol yeah yeah no i've been i've been accused of my frou-frou drinks so uh but uh <laughs> i don't know I, I i feel like i feel like i don't know like what's the point of like hurting yourself to, yeah you I, know what i mean i i only ca- casually you know i i i a glass of wine here or there or uh you know, uh, my own little mix drink. I discovered the joys of cherry liqueur. Uh, Dr. McGillicuddy's makes a cherry liqueur. And so it's a uh, liqueur. Yeah, it's cherry. They also it's... make an. I haven't done it. I haven't tasted it yet. They make an apple pie one, too. I haven't tried that. But Dr. McGillicuddy's has a cherry liqueur. And what I'll do is okay. for a while, I was making what I called adult code reds. In that I take Mountain Dew and I take a, a shot or two of the cherry liqueur and I'd mix it together. And it was adult cold red. It tasted almost exactly like cold red with just a little edge, but not much. Or okay. um or uh, I get the um a pina colada uh you know it's from the same folks that make the lemonade, the the simple like simply lemonade or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, like, yeah. Well it's similar to that, only it's pina colada, and so I'll mix that with some of the cherry liqueur and uh, yeah, it tastes like, you know, a cherry pina colada. <laughs> I, I always found like my, my go-to drink back when I drank was always like a rum and Coke thing because mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. one, cause it sounds cool. Oh yeah. Like it sounds like you're ordering a real drink, but then it's just like, oh, this is just spiked cola. Like <laughs> yeah. 
especially if it's spiced rum because then mm-hmm. it's not nearly as bad because like i one time made the mistake i was going through like my parents like alcohol cabinet and they just had just regular clear rum i'm like oh sure. this i'm sure this will be fine not the same no. experience i used to do malibu and mountain dew when i was younger in college so it was a little sweet but it worked so i had a i had a friend who uh in film school his drink of choice was was rum and mountain dew yeah Ooh. Like regular, like spiced rum or just... Yeah. Wow. Oh. No. I <laughs> that was tried, a weird drink. I tried that once. The spice the spice really overrode the Mountain Dew flavor. That's why I, I went to a coconut rum, and then that worked with Mountain yeah, Dew a lot better. Smart. But... It's smart. <laughs> Uh, Mike, I feel like I feel like in this last month we've we've seen each other quite a bit. We have. We're people will start to talk. Uh, I know, <laughs> but it's I always like doing your show, even yeah. though it's like a lot. A lot of times I don't have a whole lot of like like just like I gave you. I didn't give you a lot of notice, yeah. but thankfully it was a movie I knew you had already seen. Um, but yeah, today I am. Uh, I decided to for those of you listening, I decided to do a little bonus bit for you guys, and it's also going to go up on the um, the podcast page proper. Because me and Nick, we've been struggling to get things scheduled. We have we have plans. Uh, <laughs> it's just whenever you work with guests, it, it, things get t- difficult. Mm-hmm. Because like I'm gonna be, we're, me and Nick are gonna have Austin Proctor of the Frightmares podcast on, and we're gonna talk. We're gonna do a double feature episode where we're gonna talk about the original Fly and then the David Cronenberg remake. Ooh. But schedules haven't aligned. Just like I'm gonna have uh, Jay Gilkey, the promoter of Mondo Lucha Wrestling here in Milwaukee, <laughs> Wisconsin, on to discuss. Uh, a double feature of The Last American Virgin and um, Lemon Popsicle, the film it's based on. Wow, nice. And uh, But we were recording that, and 12 minutes into it, his entire like power thing just went out, and Ouch. so we've had to reschedule. So I wanted to give you something. <laughs> I love talking with Mark the Movie Man, and I'm still kind of on a high from uh, the new James Bond film, so I just want to talk about James Bond with someone. Why would I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. The world is arming faster than we can respond. Where's 007? I need a favor, brother. You're the only one I trust for this. The world's moved on, Commander Bond. You were double O. Two years. So stay in your lane. You get in my way. I will put a bullet in your knee. The one that works. I thought you two would get along. Name? Bond. James Bond. So you're not dead. Hello, Q. I've missed you. It's the most valuable asset this country has. If you feel yourself losing control, I'm not going to lose. Control. James, you gave up everything for her. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. What is it? You don't know what this is. James Bond. License to kill. History of violence. 
could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. Mine will survive long after I'm gone. History isn't kind to men who play God. Yeah, I uh, I came out of it. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, Spectre, Spectre was interesting because I was like, I enjoyed it. But at the same time, I felt like <laughs> Blofeld got a little bit of the shaft in that movie. You know, bit, it just, yeah. you know, it just the way they hiked that film up. So, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I It was great. And, you know, uh christoph waltz i mean you know i'll watch him in anything um yeah. so i i was oh, like, he was in the french dispatch he was in it for like two minutes and his two minutes yeah. were pretty solid <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean everything i've seen him in i've I've just loved him in so when i heard that he was going to be in that you know when they specter in, in the trailer i'm like holy crap you know that's awesome and I, I still enjoyed it, but it was just a little bit like, okay. And so then they were doing this one, and I'm like, well, where, where are they going to go with it? Because I didn't mm -hmm. really see any mention much of Spectre at all in this one. So I'm like, where are they going? And, yeah, I was surprised. I came out of it going, that was a solid Bond film. It's it's a solid Bond film. I mean, uh, they explain away some things. I mean, I don't know how many spoilers you want to get into, but... Well, oh, I'm actually man. just doing that now where I am. <laughs> Boom. Here we go. We got I spoilers. figured we should just get it out the way now. If you have not seen No Time to Die, we're probably going to spoil it. Um, <laughs> and we're probably going to spoil some classic Bonds, too, because well, I, I also want to talk about, you know, just your relationship with the franchise. But yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. just let's get but, into it. But I will say that I thought they handled having a new 007 very well. It, it was yeah. like... Because we've I, all seen we've all seen a movie where they they're they're doing the the torch bearer mm -hmm. or like this person's gonna take over we want this person to take over and it's usually not as well put together as this one was <laughs> right I yeah. mean you you could tell they handled it with care they wrote Bond's character in a way to where you know he wasn't like right away going oh you know I need to be double O set he's just like oh. Yeah, I can see it. I've been gone for five years. You know, he's like, yeah. but but there there was also like a little bit like I I liked their their bickering back. Oh, yeah. Like my well, I love absolutely loved the scene near the beginning when he has to have the visitor badge to go through mm -hmm. my six, and like everyone, you know, I think it's the first like one person sees uh um I don't remember the actress who plays the new Bond. Um, mm -hmm. uh, give me a second. Yeah. I've I think it's uh, Lashana Lynch. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, someone just without thinking about it says, good morning, 007, and then sees that he's there too. Yeah. And then it's like really awkward. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like this scene could just go on for a little bit longer and this would just be great for me. Yeah. You know, and it, it was, it was interesting that she, you know, you could tell she earned it and they're doing with the 007 what I think a lot of people conceived the 007 concept was until Skyfall. 
was that yeah. 007 and even the name James Bond was more of a moniker like you're the you're the the prime spy that might not actually be your name or you know but that's like designated as that's the prime you know mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're the alpha um until skyfall to which they kind of threw that out of the w window but it looks like you know at least not so much the james bond name but at least 007 has earned you know that's a prestige uh, uh you know um name a handle for her you know designation so she definitely was like no i earned this you are not just walking in and gonna yeah. get it back this this is mine it's you know it's interesting you mentioned that like you know um Casino Royale and like they they it, it, when they first started this franchise while they never like said it there was never like a moment they, they you I kind of felt like they were they were leaning into that a little bit more that idea mm -hmm. that James Bond is not his name so much as a, like just you know like an alias or something like I feel like I I can't pick like pinpoint a moment where I felt like that's what they were going for but I just mm -hmm. that's just kind of the vibe that I was getting um and yeah, like you said, with Skyfall, they completely just dropped dropped that concept, which is fine. Yeah. What I'm honestly surprised with, I'm one, I'm surprised that this film had such a had such a resonance with me. I guess I shouldn't say that because mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm I'm an apologetic James Bond fan, even when they're <laughs> terrible. I I, I kind of love them, but like this this franchise mm -hmm. has been very strange, or at least like the Daniel Craig uh, was it five of them have been really strange because um, they have like. For lack of a term, like uh, uh, pulled like uh, what was the last Star Wars film called? Well, I can't think of its name right now. Which one? Um, the, the the Rise the of most, Skywalker. Yeah, they've Rise of Skywalker to themselves so many times in this franchise, <laughs> like in in these five films where like you know like 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 what's like what's you Spectre as an example? Like you know you have Javier Bardem in Skyfall, and you have like he's just this like chaotic evil type of character, mm -hmm. and you're like man this guy. Uh, this guy is his own man. And then Inspector, you find out, nope, he's actually part of this big, you know, conglomerate. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. You know, everything that's been up to this point has been a big ploy. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's, kind of, you know, that, that, you know, if Skyfall was the last Jedi, this was, you know, Rise of the Skywalker. And yeah. then they did it again with Spectre to No Time to Die when they're, they're like, they built up this big Spectre thing. And then they're like, eh, maybe not. Let's just get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's what surprised me with No Time to die you know it was one one thing with no time to die with this one that you know they we knew he would be captured i didn't yeah. expect and again yes folks spoilers i didn't expect them to pull the trigger on him i figured they they would still he'd still be the old uh you know uh hannibal lecter type of thing to where they would have kept him and not actually off him you know i know they're ending the craig line but i thought it would have been interesting to hold on to him for whoever is next because yeah. there was so much more they could have done besides one movie i mean you kind of do it well well they've been behind the scenes choreographing all of this since you know casino royale and like <clears throat> okay that's but we didn't see know, that i, I want to i don't see like more, i don't like know? the i don't like a dr claw villain you know i don't want to just <laughs> i don't want to just know there's a uh someone there pulling right. the strings and being the architect of his pain i need to see it or they could have like at least like dropped it. Like, granted, let's be real. Mm -hmm. We know they didn't have the, they, they we they didn't have this. They didn't have this. They didn't have an arc planned. No, they didn't. You know, they're just kind of figuring out as they go along, which is fine. 
but like, man, even just some seeds, like you can't do in the fourth film and then be like, it's been me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like without without any hints, you know. You, yeah. you've got to at least do the old ye little Marvel thing of, of hints in the after credit sequence or like, something. Like yeah, like they may not know. have known where they were going, but you can't tell me they didn't at least believe they wanted to do Spectre because well, like yeah. The Broccoli family that produces this film, this is a this is a fucking family business for them. It is very much like the Broccoli's to James Bond is very much how Lucas was to Star Wars before mm-hmm. he sold it off, where he kept it all in the family. It was, you know, these are the only films Eon Pictures ever <laughs> ever makes is is these films. Right. So, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing. Though, it, it, I was disappointed. It, it's just that. There were a lot of directions they could go, and they've surprised me along the way with the Daniel Craig series. Uh, oh, yeah, and I, I want to say, I actually really love m- most of the Daniel Craig films. Quantum of Solace? <laughs> I've warmed on it on rewatch. Uh, I it's... actually think it might be a better film than Spectre, but Spectre has more moments where I'm like, right. I like that. I like that. I like that. Like, I think Quantum of Solace might actually have a better, like, through-line story, and I actually found myself on upon rewatch actually really being into the that woman's story of revenge. Sure. Um, but, it, fuck. It, like, they, they don't have James Bond fighting Batista. <laughs> it still felt... That Quantum really felt like they were let, did not know what to do, almost as if they didn't expect quite, you know, the popularity they got with Casino Royale. They figured it would be big, but not that. Okay, oh, well. They didn't have a script. Yeah, it's like, what do we do now? <laughs> I know. Like... Well, I, I, I've actually, like, I, I heard this said in a podcast recently, and I, yeah. I, I, I it really sticks with me that they said the, the Broccoli's are their own worst enemy because... They said one. They do every, when the, it, they they treat the Bond franchise like auteurs. It wasn't mm-hmm. until recently that they started getting visionary directors. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to just get journeyman filmmakers who could set up the camera and and, and shoot, shoot it like yeah. they could do it. Um, they were kind of the auteurs of this franchise, and when the franchise works, they deserve more credit than they're given. Mm-hmm. But when it fails, they deserve more blame <laughs> than they're given. Yeah. Um, and I, someone had said that the Bond franchise is interesting because every time they get it right, they don't know what to do, so they just throw <laughs> more money at it, yeah. and just because they, they gave examples. And if you look at the track record, you know, you when you have something as big as Goldfinger, right? They do Thunderball after, which <laughs> is not a it's not a bad film, but like it's completely different in in approach. Yeah, we did yeah. Goldfinger for one of our special series a few years ago uh on the podcast and it that's such a solid bond film we watch it it's like man this is really good yeah you're right then they followed up with thunderballer you know in this case you had quantum uh, of solace after casino royale it's like wow it's like yep. that's that's where you <laughs> and went. then they had skyfall <laughs> and then they went to specter or like you know when you go from golden eye tomorrow never dies <laughs> Did you get the like, Madonna song? But oh god, the Madonna song. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That was Gold Knight of to Tomorrow Never Die. So you're right. It's kind of up and down with this series. Uh, and I mean, there's still it's still entertaining. It just yeah. I I think the one thing that got me with the Daniel Craig series, and they even had it with this, was like, how many times is he going to retire or go into hiding and then do the comeback? I, well, <laughs> and it's like, and, and you, 
because this is the only ones that have been serialized. Right, like it's yeah. it's far more obvious. But I kind of love that like we start off with the Daniel Craig films in the uh, Casino Royale, and he's like, "Congratulations, you are a double O agent." And then by the next film, he's like, "I'm too old for this shit." <laughs> he's like ready to retire. <laughs> like I thought this was supposed to be an origin story, right. but next movie you're ready to retire. And like there's always been this quality to the bond movies where you you get the feeling that you know james is not a spring chicken he's no. maybe closer to being done than he is uh starting mm-hmm. especially when you watch those roger moore films oh yeah well <laughs> it's roger moore but yeah, i have it. a soft spot for roger moore but yeah like but like i just love that they went from welcome new agent to being like you're over the hill <laughs> Right, that card game really <laughs> messed with you. And then you know the last two, you know the last two movies. It was like, well, he's been gone for so many years. He's been gone for it's like one time. Oh, I thought you were dead, and now, well, didn't you retire? I'm like, really? <laughs> it's like, it just. And you he want to hear the best story I heard about them shooting um, this film? Hmm. I don't know if it's true. I've not done enough research to look into see if it's true, but I want to believe it is. Um, so once again, the story goes that Daniel Craig got hurt making this film. Right. Mm-hmm. But he got hurt on that, like, villa, his, like, retirement villa. Like, the floors were too slick. <laughs> it's like he wasn't doing, like, a badass stunt or something. I think he just hurt himself slipping. He slipped and hurt himself. That'd be... I would I would doubt it. You know, that's I, I, I've not done enough research to find out if it's true, but I want to believe in my heart of hearts it is. That being said, Daniel Craig could beat the shit out of me, I'm sure. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've liked his run as Bond. I was a big uh, Bronson, too, though. You know, I was... Oh, yeah. I Bronson was, was great, even though his movies weren't. His movie... He, outside of, I mean, outside of, you know, Goldeneye, which spawned one of the best N64 games of all time. Um... <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> nice. I don't know. There, there was that one, too. But, yeah, yeah. Goldeneye... The Goldeneye... You know, game for sixty four was just huge for what they were doing with it, but uh, the movie, you know, was really good. And it's like, yes, this is why we wanted Bronson. And then, you know, he was great, but the writing for the stories, at, like you were saying, after Goldeneye, it was like they weren't quite sure. Oh, we've got to actually do something more with this. <laughs> well, if if you watch that, there's like a documentary about the Bond franchise. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, but there's a, a moment in there with um, um, part of me, Pierce Brosnan, mm-hmm. where he even says, like, he's like, I remember doing Goldeneye, and that was a great moment. And he's like, and then those middle two just kind of run together. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did his final one, right. his uh, which, you know, I, I have not rewatched it since I was a kid. I loved Die Another Day because it came out when I was, like, 12. 12 years old oh sure and that movie was Mm -hmm. super fucking cool for a 12 year old and like it begins with the bond getting captured and i'm sure it's not very good anymore but it was cool (laughs) when i was when i was 12 years old it was good uh i i enjoyed his run in general but yeah a few of those films weren't written but all of them were like that i mean look at you know connery everybody holds connery as the iconic and some of his as you mentioned the earlier bonds were great and then you get into moonraker uh, you, well, you, know, you know, you get into yeah. the, the the later ones where you're just like, oh, because my wife uh, a while back binged all the original Bond. She watched all the uh, Bonds. Cool. 
and I, I watched most of them with her. And, and yeah, it was just interesting to see the ups and downs of this franchise. You know, it's still interesting that they're able to uh, make Bond films and still have them make money overall. That people, you know, there's still a draw with that name. Uh, I liked what they did with this one, though, to where we had Bond. But in this one, I, I, with Die Another Day, what felt a little bit different than the others, and they were kind of leaning towards it throughout the Craig series, but it, it comes to fruition here, is that it's not so much about Bond as the people around him. It's almost mm-hmm. like the Mission Impossible formula of sorts, to where you know you still had Cruz as your main guy, but the characters around him, I found them... More fascinating, our new 007, Anna de Armas. In oh, it. she was great. She was fantastic. I loved that character. You know, you know the, the you get uh, M, uh, not MQ, well, M as well, but Q, you know, it was almost more, yeah, Bond was there and he's the guy on the name and he's the hero, but I really love the cast of characters they've built around Craig's Bond that were just as fascinating. It's not just about bond yeah. and they're not there just to service bond yeah they... yeah because like th- this franchise has always been built around around interesting villains or right. trying to make mm-hmm. interesting villains um and and you know the bond uh the craig films do that but you're right like it, it is this supporting cast because like you know key was always a character m was always a character but it was like you saw them in like the opening scene <laughs> usually like the you know the beginning yeah. of the film here's your mission here's your exploding pen get the fuck out and go to brazil or yeah. wherever he's going <laughs> and you know that and was most you got it's kind of like how alfred was in in all the mm-hmm. batman films before um christopher nolan like right. he, he was there a little bit but so much so, so using this analogy of Alfred, like I remember, what, what was that? Um, um, the the Batman and Robin. So right. it, they had that subplot, and they were Alfred's dying, and right. you know, Mister mm-hmm. Freeze ends up giving him the the antidote and everything. Take two of these and call me in the morning. I was a kid when that movie came out. I was like riveted, and my <laughs> and my me and my mom were watching it, and my mom was like, "They can't kill off Alfred." And to show you how insignificant Alfred was to Batman up until that point, my dad goes. Who cares? It's Alfred. It's a. It's the butler. <laughs> it's the butler. But yeah. but if you would have you know but mm-hmm. like, but like Christopher Nolan made him a real character, gave him something to do. M, you know, in both of Judy Dench and with Ralph Fiennes mm-hmm. in the the Craig era, had stuff to do. Right. He wasn't just giving him a mission. Q was more relevant than he has been in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially in this one, it was like, holy, you know, <laughs> it was like the cast of characters came out more so than Bond was the focus in, in this one. And I think that's what appealed to me was the fact that you've you've done just about everything you could <laughs> with Bond himself, I think, you know, mm-hmm. as far as uh, except for him turning completely evil, um, which I think would be an interesting twist. Uh, but... <laughs> they did that in one of the video games, didn't they? They did. Yeah, they did do that in one of the video Gold games. Gold Knight 2, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think That's so. I but, uh, you know, outside of that, you've you've kind of done that. And plus, they did change it with Craig. But if you look at the way the original Bond is, he's not 2021 compliant anymore as far as that type of character. So the cast of characters he has around him, I found interesting and i was glad to see them all get a chance everybody pretty much gets a chance to to shine in this one uh besides just 
bond just yeah here's your weapons he goes finds a a, a bond girl and then they go take down the bad guy himself yeah totally like, yeah. yeah and going off of that well one i will also say that i feel like this this craig's films have been a bit more and and I say this with like quotations has been a bit of, a little bit more kind to the Bond girl than mm-hmm. they have in the past because you know at least you know two like f- fuck three films were based around like his loss of one Bond girl well right. actually more than three films yeah. and then you had, this like you had the same Bond girl in two repeating films mm-hmm. it's impressive but like I remember in um, Skyfall mm-hmm. when they had. Um, um, uh, Naomi Harris playing right. Money Penny, and I was like, "Oh, cool! They're changing up. She's an agent in the field, and then she ends up shooting Bond, and then she becomes a fucking secretary." Yeah, and right? I was like, "Wow, way to really undercut this character!" But then they actually gave her stuff to do. It, it took yep. them a little while, but I was like, "Damn, you were really cool!" And then you just became a secretary. But then they gave her, <laughs> they they did give her some stuff to do. But yeah, they did. Like, but like that, she's a perfect example. It's like. Money Penny was such just a you know throwaway character. It was just a character for Bond to flirt with. Yeah, she she was you know up to this point you know, and it, it slowly changed, which is nice to see some changes. You know, some of the Bond elements are still there, but not nearly as much as what they used to be. I mean, some of those you watch, especially the earlier Bonds <laughs> through a twenty twenty one lens, you're just like, okay, uh, this is a little creepy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, he's a little rude. To people at times, a little rapey at times, a little, yeah. little, little bit at times. Does, does, is not. Uh, I remember there was like a whole like subplot, in like Moonraker, be like a woman scientist. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like what? What? You, you can't, can't do science. You're a woman. No. Uh, but so it, it's been a great evolution, and this one was was solid. I mean, it 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 hit all your notes. You still got to see Blofeld in this. You got a big, you know. You got big action pieces um, in this, which mm-hmm. I thought were interesting. You know, um, I, I could have done without the, oh, Bond retired and now he's back again. I'm like, wait, didn't we just do this in Spectre? Like, he's been gone for five years. Yeah, yeah. Like... See, like, I, I feel like it's... Daniel Craig didn't want to be Bond anymore. Bond didn't want to be Bond, Bond anymore. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, so that's why you get the characters like the new Bond, you know, new 007, excuse me. And you get Anna De- I wanted to see a pair up of those two cuz yeah. that would be that would be an awesome film because at first, you know, I got worried with uh Anna De Armas's uh character, the way she was kind of being played at first and the way she came in, I'm like, "Oh, are we getting more of your traditional kind of bond girl but no when she gets to the act she's like freaking kicking so much ass in this movie yeah. too i'm like that okay good thank you for for bucking my expectation because i thought for sure when we first saw her we're just like oh the newbie agent or a newer agent she's kind of you know oh here we go and but we mm-hmm. don't get that with her um, no no she she's she's great like i and i think that 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 change in uh you know going against expectations Mm -hmm. is why people respond so much to her character. Right. Yeah. Because of the way she, she, she plays it a bit bubbly at first. You're just like, okay. And then you see her in action. And yeah, when I saw it, I was like, I wanted to see her and Nomi, uh, you know, the, the new, new double seven. I want to see those two pair up really. I just like, yeah, those two, I want to see it now. Get it. You know? 
and it was it was it was heartbreaking to see uh you know his bond cia counterpart uh uh you know felix Leiter. felix seeing felix you know i always liked that relationship in any of the bond films i've always enjoyed mm-hmm. the felix bond relationship because you get that u.s british <laughs> yeah you know and I, I also appreciate the way that jeffrey wright plays felix where he's mm-hmm. just he just he he seems like a very capable bumbling drunk Mm-hmm. but like not where the point where like he's like oops a doodle like he's just he's kind of like you always, he just plays it like he's always just a little bit tipsy right but he knows how tipsy he can be to still do his job <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, you know and he's always been a great counterpart to you know bond and and, and even in the craig films I, i've loved the way they've played felix as well mm-hmm. you know it's just an interesting dynamic between those two characters and you know we get that here uh you know i wasn't i will say Rami malik's bad guy in this was an interesting one it, yeah it, it kind of had some elements of dr no it had some it had it's pulling from a little bit of everything the biggest thing that w- was weird for me is not only like when he's like a full-blown adult being like i loved you when you were a child or whatever yeah. he fucking said but then it's like how old are you? <laughs> like, how old were you when you killed her family? Because I thought you guys were like the same age. Yeah. How old are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, they could have cast someone just a little bit older to make me believe that. Because it's like, you know, you were a full-blown adult when well, you killed her family. He did He did live a very healthy lifestyle, though. So, you know. <laughs> when you live in, a, when you live in a, a, a poison garden, you have to. Well, you know. So, I mean, that I think that does well for your skin. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I thought it was a little odd too that you know he showed up and they didn't really do much aging at, on him at all, and here she is like what twenty something now. And... <laughs> yeah, like I guess like maybe I could believe it. It's like okay if she's twenty something, you know. Yeah. Because like she was like what? How old would you say she was in that opening scene? Like ten, twelve? Uh, yeah, I think she was maybe may have been ten or twelve. I mean, she was so, she was doing taking care of her, you know, her mom, uh, uh, so very well. So I'd say probably maybe you know, 12, if she was yeah. ten or twelve, and she say at most like say thirty two, you know, if mm-hmm. if Rami Malek's character is like ten years older, it's like okay, twenty two years old. I could believe it, but I yeah. still feel like it's a stretch. <laughs> like I could do the math and make it work, but oh, yeah, it was a stretch. I did like what they did with the Madeline character, you know, as well. That that was yeah. another surprise. There were a lot of surprises in this, and, and you know, you find out, oh, she's, <laughs> you know, she's the reason Blofeld dies. <laughs> basically, yeah. you know, like oh, because her her character was just kind of like nothing in the last film. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I I just didn't think anything of her. Um, and you know, her lineage, like with, um, her father, Mr. White, it's like, that just felt kind of, every time Mr. White pops up in any of these films, I'm always like, wait, who the fuck was Mr. White again? (laughs) And then I'm always like, why do they, of all the characters to bring back, why do they keep adding more depth to Mr. White? White. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know either. You know, it, it was one of those where I barely remembered Madeline character from, Spectre, unfortunately, it was like one of those things where I almost wish I would have revisited Spectre before I watched No Time to Die mm-hmm. um, to to refresh my brain a little bit on some of the characters returning. But, um, you know, at least they, again, they gave her something more than just being a damn 
damsel in distress or you know the, mm-hmm. the one constantly trying to be rescued by bond and she know, had the, a lot of she had a lot of like pathos behind her mm-hmm. character too which yeah. i really appreciated i just i i feel like like you said they gave her a lot to do i also weirdly appreciate that like i really liked the the openings uh mm-hmm. um, like pre-credit sequence where yeah. you know like I like the idea that she, especially because she's a therapist, was the one like, you right. need to like forgive Ava Green's character. <laughs> her name was Vespa. Vesper? Vesper. Vesper. Yeah. Uh, you have to forgive her. And then the way that tied in, where you're like, oh, she's in it. And then my, I remember when you and my wife were going back and forth with each other. It's, I was like, I can't trust her. It's like, I, she's like, I don't know. I think that would be too obvious. And then that's the way they spun it. Yeah. But then it also wasn't. It was like, oh, they just <laughs> keep going back and forth. And, you know. I, I appreciated the roller coaster ride of not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's what they were trying to go for. And they accomplished that well. And I, I believe that's what part of the appeal is, is that it you're not quite sure. You think you know how this is going to play out. And then it doesn't, especially like near the end. I'm like, OK, please just saying, please, if they recast, please. Just leave it 007, not James Bond for the next film. Don't say James Bond 007. Just say 007 because I'm sorry, but I'm like, I don't care what cinema magic you try to spin. I will not believe that that character that you bring in back in the next film, which you know there'll probably be another one, um, is actually James Bond. There's no way. They they like... Unless they're just going to completely re... Because, you know, unless they're going to completely just reboot it because one could argue that you know um all the different versions of bond were not the same guy right right one could argue that so and we talked about that with the you know the skyfall throwing a wrench in that works but until then i think a lot of people just kind of the unspoken belief that okay we got different guys james bond these are just different spies who have earned that name and that call sign because they're the the top spies okay I'd buy that, you know, with the way you change actors constantly, then, you know, they were all the same guy because then you're just like, well, okay. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I always took Craig's bond as kind of a soft reboot until again, until Skyfall, I took his bond. I'm like, oh, they're kind of restarting the franchise. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, here we go. But then we, we get, Skyfall. I keep bringing it up, but it's true. It, it threw it threw everybody. I think for a loop when you watch it, you go, "Oh, oh, well. <laughs> mm-hmm. like... yeah." Like it's because, um, like when I was a kid, I just always kind of took it as like, "Well, you know, this is all the same guy. There's just different missions or something right. like yeah. that." Or like, and the way I kind of like to um, view it now is, it's like. You know, these are all legends. These are the legends of James Bond. Right. And that's why people were never looked the same. Or, you know, <laughs> you never know. You never know. No. Um, but no, I, I was quite entertained with this film, even with as long as it was. Because when I saw the runtime, I'm like, ooh. Because like a lot of your big modern tentpole films now, we can't have it less than two hours. <laughs> it's got to be two hours and 20 minutes, by God. Uh, but this one moves fast. This oh, one... it moved so fast. I was actually surprised because, like, I was a little like, I'm not really a big runtime guy where I'm like, oh, that movie's long. I don't know. Unless it's like I'm going to the theater to see it and it's gonna it's a later movie. I'm like, oh, how tired am I going to be by the end of this? Because I'm never worried about whether or not I'm going to stay awake. Right. And when you're at home, I can just break it up. But yeah. Like, 
Yeah, it, it, like it's definitely one of the longer films, but it doesn't feel it. Like Quantum mm. of Solace is actually one of the shortest films, and it feels longer. It drags. That film drags. This one didn't. That movie is a tight 106 minutes, and it feels longer than No Time to Die. <laughs> It, it is so true. No, I'm not. I mean, I don't hang it huge on runtime. I mean, you know, yeah. everybody always makes a big deal. Oh, this film's been launched at this runtime. And I'm like, really? In the digital age, this is a surprise to you? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm always surprised when people get so like I, I'm always because, you know, we follow similar circles. Like we follow mm-hmm. a lot of different people who are involved in the film business, whether yeah. or not they're like journalists or whatever i love that like a news day is being like runtime for the new star wars has been revealed like who cares (laughs) why do you care (laughs) i know the information that goes around like you know when people dissect trailers and like do you like just go enjoy the movie that that's happening today it's disney plus day oh yeah and i commented in in our group i'm like you know guys in all honesty all these short little teaser trailers they did all almost looked and felt like fan films maybe in such a way you know the way they they put them together it was just like but you see immediately youtube just all these people breaking down the 23 seconds you got of the moon knight or the Miss Marvel trailer, and they're breaking down. Oh, look what she's wearing, and that. I'm like, really? It's if like you look at the seconds. symbol in the background, it is very clearly a reference to issue 52 of Iron Man. I mean, mad props for your knowledge. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, I'm like, it's a 20 second sizzle reel for crying out loud. I'm like, it's like, my, and I've become more and more just like anti-trailer, and mm-hmm. I, I, that's even sounds that sounds strong because don't get me wrong, there are some times where I'm like, well, I want to see the trailer for this, right, you know, yeah. like especially if it's like when Rocket Man came out, that mm-hmm. Elton John movie, and I was like, I need to see the trailer for this, but like I'm not like sitting on my computer, I'm like, oh, 15 minutes, and then a new Jurassic World trailer drops. <laughs> I don't care that much. Uh, especially, like, a film like that where, like, I don't need to be sold on this. I know what I'm getting. You know, I'll occasionally watch, like, 30 seconds of, like, a trailer for a movie I've never heard of or an indie sure, film. Just yeah. to kind of get, like, I'll watch, like, 30 seconds to a minute just to be, mm-hmm. like, get an idea of visual style and tone. And be like, okay, that's all. I, I don't need to be told the story. I actually wish more movies would just do sizzle reels and just give me, tell me what the movie's going to feel like right. and let me discover it on my own. Um, but, like, when, when I... Only time I saw any trailer for this Bond film was when I was at a theater. Right. Yeah. Me you know, too. I, my, mm-hmm. my, it's my rule that if I come across it organically, like I'm not gonna like close close your eyes my and eyes. Your ears. And, you know, I'm not gonna do that. But like, I, I I I've just found so much more enjoyment out of watching movies if by mm-hmm. just going in blind. Yeah. You know, if anything, I'll read a synopsis or, or something. But like. I've I've found that I'm so much less critical, and which is bad because I talk about movies in a critical fashion. Um, I'm so much less critical now that I don't book my, you know, I don't work myself into a shoot and think that you know right. I'm gonna be, you know, I don't I don't fan book this movie and how I think it should go. Like I think that's honestly what killed people's enjoyment for the new Star Wars films is they had a clear idea of what they wanted, and that's yeah. it. So it's like you know I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm getting with a Bond film. Uh, even a friend of mine, this guy named Stephen Bjork, who writes uh, uh, physical media reviews for the Digital Bits, mm-hmm. he he wrote like this little like diatribe before his review for No Time to Die, being like, "I'm not going to include a synopsis because one, 
it's like the thing that everyone skips into do you need a synopsis for the new james bond film yeah <laughs> is that going to be what sells you you're either going to go see it because the new james bond film or you're not going to see it because it's the new james bond film well or, or just like you get you know some written reviews and and they're just not my type of reviews. There's a lot of people that like them where like 80% of it is just a recap of the movie. And then yeah. they kind of give their critique. I'm like, so you're going, that's the hardest. I always hated writing those. You know, I'd rather just, just give me the critique. I'd rather have a few sentences of just tell me what's good, bad and ugly about it versus giving me a breakdown of the plot. And then at the, yeah. well, you know, it's like, you're going to get that from the trailer. Google, I mean, Eternals, I was joking. I'm like, I told some friends of mine, I'm like, don't Google Eternals if you don't want surprise characters to be spoiled for you. And this was before the like the day of the film coming out. I'm like, because Google will automatically list a cast like right there on the first landing page when you do your search. And for Eternals, third one in was a spoiler for a character that doesn't show up till the end credit sequence. And it's like, and like, and funny enough, like I, I, I remember being kind of impressed with the Eternals trailer because I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck this movie's about. Right? I want to see it. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was even with the Bond movie with No Time to Die. Even the trailers that they did give, they still didn't. When you watch the actual movie, you realize, oh, this is what this story is about because the way the trailer plays it out, it it's. It's just money shots. It's just money shots, basically, you know, yeah. but j- just money shots and basic Bond music. And that's so like, oh, it's just going to be a basic Bond film. Then you get into it like there's stunts actually... shooting, you know. Yeah, that's all. That's all you want. And then you actually got into character stuff. But even the story trailers that they did later on before the film came out, it still didn't give away everything to where you're like, you know, I sat there and I, I was actually surprised. I'm like, wait, they actually killed Blofeld. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm like. Oh damn! <laughs> yeah, and then, like I, I just kept thinking, it's like okay, this is gonna be Craig's last movie, and I knew Rami Malek was in it, and I yeah. knew I, I've seen images of his character just in the trailers, and I was like, this is the last Bond film. How is Rami Malek gonna close this out? I'm a man willing to kill the person you love most. And yeah. you know, it's just like I, I, I like going into a movie of questions. Oh yeah. Even something as formulaic as the James Bond films. And don't get me, you know, I, I say formulaic, but it's not it's not a critique. I personally I don't know how you feel about this. I personally think people are far too fucking hung up on originality. <laughs> you know, anytime you see like a bad review on Letterboxd review, it's always it's like, I've seen this before. Who cares, man? Just because it's original doesn't mean it's good. A formulaic is, it could be fun. And like, I was like, I know the formula of James Bond and they still were able to surprise me. Mm-hmm. No, I, you know, I have no problems with that either. I've used it, you know, as, as an, an, more as an observation than a negative critique because uh especially in hollywood there's so much movies now they say there's no originality well yeah it hasn't been for eons people filmmakers well you know you're a filmmaker filmmakers love film they've watched many films and when they make a film they want to make something that's influenced them that they like they're not necessarily looking to reinvent the wheel but they want to tell a story and that story is going to be just organically influenced buy things that influence them as children or that they love. It's going to resemble it. It's how it's executed and how that type of story is told where the entertainment comes in. I mean, it's the reason why horror people 
watch so many slashers. I get so many questions like, well, they're all the same movie. I'm like, some of them are, but then you get that golden nugget that it's still a slasher, but it's different. Someone did some slight variation, and that's enough for you to go, okay. And then there's also been times where, like, I've seen, you know, I've watched a lot of slasher movies myself, and they're like, you know, that, like, I can see, too, that were, you know, brought nothing new to the table, but one is exceptionally done, and the other one's not. Like, craft comes down to it as well you know like the reason i like my bloody valentine is one of my all-time favorite slasher films Mm -hmm. it doesn't do anything new but it's just executed really fucking well yeah and then you know we'll 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 see other ones i can't think of any titles at the moment where it's like oh you know it's like they they did nothing new well, neither did my buddy Valentine, but they just did it really fucking well. Right. It's it, it doesn't necessarily have to be new as long as it's entertaining. I mean, yeah. especially and that's the way the Bond films. And I think that's what appeals to a lot of people is you you kind of know what you're going in for. But at the same time, if you you get something new, you'll be surprised. You're like, oh, that p- puts it up a little bit, you know. But if as long as you're entertained, I mean, for like me, visually, I'm a big visual guy. I love visuals. If you entertained me visually because movie is a visual medium. You kind of halfway won me already. Same, same. <laughs> I, I, it's it's funny. I'm I'm a filmmaker myself. I am a writer. Mm-hmm. I don't like calling myself that, but I've written a, quite a few screenplays. Um, I've never like whenever I leave a movie, I'm never been like I don't know. The story didn't really make sense to me. Like sometimes I am. Like if I was truly bored in the movie, then I'm right. picking it apart. But it's like I never like that's never my like you know mm-hmm. critique. Um, it's, you know, cause I'm the same way. If the visuals are great, I, I'm, I'm one over, like I said, unless it's just boring, but right. you know, right. if the sound design is incredible, like I'm usually one over, <laughs> yeah, sure. you know, it took me a long, like there, there's a lot of problems with a film like Spectre, mm-hmm. but after watching it the most recent time, I had such a gr- good time watching it. It wasn't until like really sitting down and thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess some of this stuff doesn't make sense. <laughs> it is really kind of stupid, isn't it? But like, you know, the entire time I'm sitting there watching No Time to Die, like I, 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 I think Amanda kept looking over at me because I just, especially because like we, we, we go to like the Silver Spot Cinema in, mm-hmm. in, in Brookfield and they, they, they have this phenomenal seating layout where like their third row is like perfectly just like you're closer than normal (laughs) but you're not like straining your neck Mm -hmm. and you know it's like to give you an idea a cinema scope screen is really fucking wide with their third row i could sit there watch the middle of the screen and just see the ends of the screen in my peripherals like you're the perfect spot and i'm just the entire time just sitting there eating my popcorn (laughs) giant smile on my face and i kept seeing amanda look over at me because i think she was like this big idiot's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like that too, uh, visually. Yeah, I, I, I leading forward sometimes. My kids got a kick out of it when I forgot which film. Oh, we were watching uh, uh, King of the Monsters, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. We also, went. a franchise that I love. You know, I, I, I love the Godzilla franchise and all its warts, but. You know, I started leaning forward and, and getting giddy when you hear the music, they actually use Mothra's theme.
and you get, you yeah, know, they did. You, you know, the, you actually get the twin, and, and I was just, just so giddy, and I'm like, yeah, we've we've kind of seen this story before, and you can see the elements they borrowed from past Godzilla films, but it's in an entertaining, visually way that I I did not mind that I might have been seeing these things before because I was still entertained. You know, I, I one of the examples I give that people like wrinkle their nose and just look at me. I go, I enjoyed Sucker Punch. And people look at it and they go, and I'm like, no, 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 not for the main story, okay? In fact, I barely really remember what the main arc is. It's for the three set pieces, the action sequences when she goes into the, the, the you know, alternate fantasy that I love where the first action sequence, she's fighting huge samurai robots the next one you get freaking steampunk nazis and then in the last one you've got a dragon going against mm -hmm. a world war ii fighter play you know those sequences i loved that's why yeah. i watched that film i don't watch it for the main storyline because it is problematic and i totally get it but i watch it for those sequences because they're they're phenomenally put together it's that's how i feel about ready player one it is not a really good movie it's no. not a very good movie like <laughs> it's, it's and when I say that, I'm not saying it's poorly made because that movie is is masterfully constructed and there's nothing on a technical level that is flawed about that movie. It's just yeah. stupid. <laughs> it's just stupid. But it's so much fun. It is. I mean, you see Chucky being used as a weapon tossed amongst people to take out guys, and then you get freaking Mecha Godzilla fighting a Gundam. I'm like sitting here going, I just that whole end battle sequence. I know the the first time I saw that movie, and like I saw a Gundam walk out. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And then you you get the Mecha Godzilla, and then the music cue of the original Godzilla music, yes. which this is before you know King of the Bots. I'm just like, and I'm sitting there like. And I was like, okay, I really need to know: Is Steven Spielberg just secretly a giant nerd, or is he have people on his t on his team feeding them this stuff? Because yeah. it's like I just like, I'm sitting there like, does Steven Spielberg know what a Gundam is? <laughs> is this some or did his effects team add all this in? Like, I need to know how much involvement Steven Spielberg had with this. Yeah, you know, and and that's what I dug about the film too, because I had read the book, and and I've had this conversation with other people. When I read the book, being the movie guy I am, I'm reading it going. Oh, there's no way they're making an actual translation of this book because of licensing alone. I'm just like, yeah, there's no way. Because one of the tests in the book, I don't know if you read it, but one of the tests in the book is you have to word for word play the Matthew Broderick character in war games. And you actually reenact the entire movie in the virtual world. And you got to get the dialogue exactly right or you start the film completely over. Uh <laughs> right and i'm like reading that going yeah they ain't doing that no <laughs> no licensing guys so but they still i we got visual entertainment with that when you get the car race with all the classic cars mm -hmm. racing that's still the scene i still one of the scenes that i use anytime i i do any tweaks to like my home theater that's mm -hmm. my demo scene oh yeah because it, it's like there's so much it's got great bass it's got a lot of movement of sound you know, because like you, you, you have surround sound, you know, sometimes oh, yeah. like you'll be like sitting there like, are these fucking back speakers even on? <laughs> um, I've done or that. like sometimes if you're if you're too close to one speaker, you'd be like, is the other one even doing anything? But like with that scene, I could be sitting on the far right side of the couch with another speaker right behind my head. Mm -hmm. And I'll hear like someone get crashed into and I'll hear coins across the room I'm like, yeah. oh, th this is the scene you test your shit with. Right. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, so I mean, you, you get films like that. So I'm a visual guy. So, you know, bringing it back to a, a, a No Time to Die, there's some great visual set pieces in here. They they go wide. There's some wonderful cinematography oh, yeah. in this film. Oh, and um, it's also the first time in a long time in a Bond film where like I was like feeling the impacts. Right. Mm-hmm. Like specifically in that opening like scene with um him like escaping the uh, escaping the bad guys after his uh his his ex-girlfriend's tomb blew the fuck up yeah. <laughs> like but like there's that scene where like they're both on the bridge and they're coming at him mm-hmm. and like he like cowers beneath like the smallest little thing and like one of the cars like I, there was there was multiple times when I went oh and like I don't normally feel the impact and like in these films and but like or like when he did it's in the trailer and I knew it was coming, but when I saw it in the movie on that, you know, yeah. big, you know, two, three to five, two, three, five to one screen, and he does that fucking motorcycle ramp jump, and I'm, oh I'm still like, what? Yeah, like, I saw it 50 times in the trailer, and I'm still like, what? Yeah, you get the line of people there, and he does that, it just like, ah. Uh. You know, and then and then of course he's in the car. They get surrounded, and he, you know, he does the whole machine gun spinning thing. I was enjoy- I was like. Yeah, I knew it was coming because it was in the trailer. But it, you know, because uh, he he had the car where he had to spin the car around with the machine guns. Oh yeah, such a he, great moment. And it was a great moment. I'm like, I knew it was coming, but it was still it was done very well. And you know, people are going, well, what are are we going to get another bond? I'm like, you're going to get another. I'm like, yeah, you will. There might be some breathtaking taking between the two but especially yeah, usually how, about five to six years yeah uh you know and it'll be interesting to see how they reinvent it again because they did with craig i mean you know they they took a little bit of the misogyny away that you had from the previous ones Not, and that's added yeah. some tenderness yeah. like i always think of that scene in, uh i th- i think it was it, uh, was it in quantum of Solace or was it in um um uh, casino royale where he like sits down in the shower with oh it was casino i think it was yeah it was it was with vesper and i remember it wasn't written that way it was written yeah. that he was just supposed to like take her and they were supposed to have yeah. sex and he goes no that's not what we're doing in this scene. <laughs> he's like that's not what i want this version of bond to be right and you know i wish they had a little bit more of that because it, he did often fall into some of the misogynistic tendencies but i appreciate that he was self-aware enough to be like yeah we're not doing this <laughs> i mean there it was still the elements because i think he was still trying to keep to the bond but at the same time it wasn't nearly they you could see them making an effort let's put it that yeah. way. You, you know a little bit to try to change those characteristics of bond that have you know that spawned were so many years from you know connery especially but then uh, roger moore and that where you know roger moore was always a little more dry was definitely drier than uh sean connery uh but he's still the woman's you know the the, the womanizer yeah. the the i'll save you honey you know except for grace jones in which case you know when i watched bond and J- grace jones i'm like she could kick your ass man she just oh yeah <laughs> she's like, like it- and it's it's became funny because like the older that Roger Moore got is like how are you still getting these women oh because it was written that way it was written um, <laughs> I also want to say like he's not getting a whole lot of credit here but I I also thought the direction by what was his name Kerry Joji Fukunaga mm-hmm. was fun like he just breathed a lot of like 
fresh air into this franchise because I remember I was really excited about the the con- the idea of getting Danny Boyle to direct this, right. and then it didn't mm-hmm. happen. Uh, and I was like, man, I hope they find a good replacement because I'm probably in in the minority where I was like, okay, I love Skyfall. It's probably my favorite mm-hmm. of the of the Craig Bond films. Um, and I feel like for most people, it's either that one or it's uh, uh, Casino Royale. I think right. it really comes down to like what you're looking for in a Bond film. Um, but I remember like when um, Danny Boyle fell out, and I was like, man, just don't bring back Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes <laughs> is a great director, but he... It, it just felt like he was tired to make Inspector. <laughs> he, was, he, he was either tired or just wasn't quite, he wanted to do something else. Not, he just like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. You're going to give me money. All right, fine. You know? Yeah. And yeah. then you see 1917. I was like, fuck, why didn't they do a night? <laughs> why didn't they do like something like this with Bond? Fuck. Oh man, that would have been insane. But it's just a single take Bond. Film. Oh my God. That would be, that would have been, I, I'd watch that. Holy crap. I, I'd be. Can you imagine just like, you know, they'd have to get rid of the, some of the elements like the globe trotting and stuff. Well, yeah. But like, can you imagine if it was just like beginning to end Bond just on one mission? Like it's the, it's the final act of the film, right? but it's, that's the entire movie. <laughs> it's the entire movie. I shit. I'd watch that. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell, it'd be like a Metal Gear Solid movie. Yeah, it would. <laughs> Which now I want to see that movie. <laughs> now I'd love to see a Metal Gear Solid film. Uh, you know, this was this was a good send off. Um, I, I I would say I got far more emotional than I was expecting. I did. Like I was bawling like a baby, and then when they brought in that song from Honor Majesty's Secret Service, fuck. We have all the time in the world. Time enough for life to unfold all the precious things love has in store. We have all the love in the world. When, when, when you get to the very end, well, it was funny because we've seen it, and that's again, even up to the very end, you, we've seen Bond somehow escape it may have been mm-hmm. so unbelievable but he escaped the impossible situation at some point you know almost every film where they just get this epic like oh well, that's it I mean, a nuke is literally five feet from him and then you find out oh no he used this teleport whatever you know but we don't get that he's standing on a roof there's explosions coming to it's like and he gets engulfed and it's like Oh, he yeah. There's there's no. I, f- I feel like Craig put it like in his contract is like there has to be no shadow of the doubt <laughs> that I am gone. Like they need to just they essentially need to Jason goes to hell him and watch him blow the fuck up <laughs> just to know. <laughs> Man, I will tell you one thing. I loved how that film opened. I oh my god, great intro. Opened. That's got to be one of the greatest horror movie intros ever is that again bucking expectations here he is he's all it's zombie jason he's going after your 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 female in distress your final girl she's chasing and all of a sudden she does like this mid-air flip and all the lights come on and then they just blow jason (laughs) it it was phenomenal to this day like 
I, I have a weird fondness for Jason Goes to Hell, but a big part of it is how good that is. Oh, that opening was just, I loved that opening. Because uh, I'm like, it's called Jason. Where are they going from here? Where do you go with that? <laughs> but no, like, I, I, but going back to No Time to Die, I really yeah. thought that was like, it, it was a nice send off. It was one mm-hmm. of those things too. It's like, he could get out of this. He probably could. Yeah, he, he he's just, Bond. He, yeah. He doesn't want, uh, honestly, I feel like, you know, let's be real. Like, th- let's be real. This is this is James Bond. This is the James Bond COVID movie. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're all getting at. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, and like when Q's driving home, like there is no cure. It's like, right. have you tried? <laughs> like, we can't just quarantine Bond for like a couple months and just Facetime his daughter until we figure something out. Or <laughs> you can't wear like one, you can't put him in the John Travolta boy in the plastic bubble suit or right, something. Right. And like, there's really no out part of me likes to believe he's just like i can't be a dad fuck this (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm not daddy proof i'm not daddy and i'm not paying child support and i know i'm not gonna retire (laughs) i've tried it many times before i might as well just i'm not gonna give that child support so yeah this is the way to go uh no it was a state i they definitely did it on purpose too as a statement saying yeah craig is done you know, kind of that finality to to kind of put any type of question to rest. And obviously, it's film, so they could cinemagic some way. But I think it would cheapen this film because it. That's part of the appeal is that even at the end you do get emotional because you you're like, this is the first time we've seen Bond on screen. Pretty much, he's dead. There's no question, really. There's no, and, no secret escape or glider. We don't see a little dot after the explosion goes. No, he. Yeah, he also needs to. He needs to get out before he gets too tired of the role. Hell, like right. I, I feel like he was tired of the role after Casino Royale. <laughs> like, and but not to say that he was like phoning it in. He always brought his all to oh, it. Yeah. But you know, like. Sean Connery enjoyed it for the for the first three, right? And then it just started great. Now, like hell, the only reason he took Diamonds Are Forever was because of the paycheck, but because there's stories about him just verbally abusing Cubby Broccoli mm-hmm. in between takes, and he did it just so he could fuck with him because he hated him. <laughs> um, you know, and I just I, I would hate to see just Daniel Craig just do it for the paycheck. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I, you know, I don't know him. Maybe he did. Who knows? But he didn't make it feel like he was doing it for the page. I, I never felt like he checked out. That's why it was actually surprising to me to hear when they were saying rumors that he was kind of tired of the role because you couldn't tell on screen because he did, he did still bring it. You know, and if he any, just kept hurting himself too much, yeah, that could be. You know, if anything, there was a little bit of tiredness to him. It was only natural for the character who was Bond, who was tired of this, getting too old for this shit. You know, yeah. um, and even in this one, you feel like he's like, yeah, okay. I'll go be Bond. Fine. You got my daughter. OK, fine. Fine. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'll do it. But I'm only going to do it because we're not shooting knives out too yet. Yeah, <laughs> which I can't wait for. I know. God, I love that movie. That was one of those surprise movies because when I saw the trailer, and I'm like, okay, I love the cast. I really have no idea what this movie is going to be like. 
who cares? But I didn't care because of the cast. It was like, I'll, I'll watch it for that. And when I we... remember the original trailer for Knives Out. I had no idea what that movie is about. And I was like, but I'm sold once again because they gave me really nothing. I knew it was okay. It's, I right. put together it was a murder mystery and it had Jamie Lee Curtis and a bad accent by Daniel Craig, which I fucking love. Oh, and I, love I was that. like, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. That's he, all I need. It, it, he is so much the Louisiana, Louisiana version of Parole. My wife loves yeah. Parole quite a bit but there's some actors that just you know and that's why i'm looking forward to death on the dial because i can't wait to see kenneth Branagh's mustache again yeah and i and i actually really liked their remake of uh of um, murder on the orient yeah i remember having a lot of fun with that um my wife and i did too she's like okay perot doesn't parkour but she didn't care because she's huge we had fun with it it was entertaining and for once we were the youngest people in the audience when we went to see. Yep. <laughs> when we went to see. I don't think many people my na- my my age knows who Poirot is. No. We, um, we were we chuckled. We're like, because we live in a college town. We're like, I think this is the first time we're the second youngest couple in the audience for a movie ever. I feel like I remember hearing in, in like. Uh, I don't know if I'm. Ma- I remember hearing this somewhere, and I don't know if it was like a fan pitching this idea or if it was just like um ryan johnson on twitter just being a goofball but someone said that it's like i think it'd be a great idea to just do a series of knives out movies and have daniel craig change his accent in every movie (laughs) and never address it (laughs) i'd be for that hell i'd be for that that'd be a great gimmick that would be an awesome gimmick oh Yeah, but so, was, was there anything else you wanted to say about no time? That we kind of we've we moved all around. We've, but moved, we've there... moved all around, but we I mean, there's a lot of people out there have been picking this apart, and it's it's still a Bond film, so it is fairly straightforward. I mean, you get your your, your elements in there, but as we mentioned, the surprises uh, that you know the changes they did make, which I think we've addressed. That no, it's a good film. It's a solid film. It's it's a better. It's one of the better Bond films, especially of the Craig era. Oh, yeah. And I felt it was a, a good send-off for his character. I came out of it feeling satisfied. I was like, that that's a that's a really good ending, good way they ended this. This leaves it, and they end it in a way to where they can do just about anything now. I mean, they're not really tied to yeah. anything, and yet they could still play in this world. And that's what yep. has me kind of excited, so... Yeah. So I was going to ask you before we part ways, mm-hmm. did you have a favorite scene, favorite moments, favorite something from No Time to Die? Uh, Whether it... it be legitimately favorite or ironically favorite, because I've got one of both. <laughs> I, I My legitimately favorite, I mean, I mentioned it already, though, but was when uh, Anna de Armas uh, just yeah. like switched gears and just started kicking, like, you know, being not what you expected her to be. That, that whole that sequence. Yep. That, that whole sequence was so flawlessly done. It, it was so well done. It, the direction of it, you have so many different elements going on. You had the whole specter. You you think this is going to be like a major showdown because Bond is in the middle of this big group of specter folks. And then almost all of them die. And she shows up and starts being bad. And I'm just like, I loved that sequence because that sequence surprised me because here we didn't have Bond dispatching the Spectre guys like in some superhero spy mm-hmm. fashion. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, he was still doing doing his skills. But yeah, I love that whole sequence uh, with the Spectre meeting and them dying. That That's probably my favorite sequence in this. 
uh, would be that one for sure. So there's a couple things I loved. I loved um, um, the Russian scientist. Mm-hmm. I loved his like his. Uh, it's like my soup has more value than you do as a person or something yeah. like that. I thought that was great. Um, I also loved everything with uh, the the Specter party, but I, I it's almost like I loved everything leading up to and after it. Mm-hmm. But my like, ironic favorite thing is the the Zoom birthday party Blofeld, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like COVID movie, COVID movie. <laughs> COVID movie, uh, but then like I really loved like legitimately like Bond uh, for lack of a term storming the castle at the end of the oh, film yeah. when oh and you had that like phenomenal uh, oneer of him like running up the stairs and shooting people just, and he's wearing his fucking like awesome like turtleneck and shit oh I was like this is what I like out of Bond killing people in a turtleneck <laughs> he he just. It's it's a wonderful sequence, and actually, that's why I'm glad they got the director they did because he handles these action sequences a lot better than some directors. You know, I I mean, you know, I always I always think, especially for this, that hinges on action sequence, and it's a beautiful sequence. Him just going up the mm-hmm. stairs and often guys, and they're popping out of the doors, and he beats the stuff, and he just shoots the head. It's just, it's. It's the first, so like one, one of my complaints, and mm-hmm. I, I say complaints loosely, sure. with the James Bond video games is they never felt like a James Bond movie right. until we got to the third person ones, which I actually right. wish they would have done more of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, this was the first time, and I was like, man, they should have done more video games with Craig <laughs> because it would have played perfect into the first person shooter world because that was the Craig video game Bond moment. That was. <laughs> He just popping guys left. It was. I think they did one Craig Bond game, and then I yeah. might have been third person. I don't know. But I mean, and they're brutal too. It's like Bond being brutal. It was like you're like, he, oh, oh, damn, oh, he can really be brutal in his kills when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a fun movie. It, it was better. It's a good bookend. It'll be interesting what they do with it because you know, you know, it's not. You know, they never die. Bond, Bond no. will come back again. Um, you know, they they even say Bond will be back, and I'm like, hopefully it's not you know actual James Bond. I, I'm hoping that they do 007, but they do a different character because otherwise it may take away from this. But then again, they've done sequels to Terminator 2, and I've never liked that because I'm like that kind of cheapens the end of terminator 2. well it's also like i love that every i told this to amanda the other day and i love that very few people are commenting on it how every texas chainsaw massacre sequel is a sequel to the original film yeah just about yeah just pretty much yeah none of them acknowledged what came before it's yeah. always a direct sequel it is it, it's a, the, yeah it's like good or bad it's it's a direct sequel to the first you, but uh, I appreciate you coming on, Mark, on such yeah. short notice to talk about this movie with me. I always have a great time talking movies with you. Oh, same here, man. Same here. I always love talking movies with you and appreciate being on, as always. Yeah. You know, tell, um, people, tell people what you're up to, where they can follow, find you, follow you, all that good shit. Uh, SpecialMarkProductions.com for all your movie man needs. There's a lot of stuff there. I've got a linked tree link uh if you go to specialmarkproductions.com we've got two weeks left on the survey i have for what we're going to do for our special series next year on the podcast which is going to be the horror of 1988 
So um, I, in doing the podcast over seven years, we've done a number of horror episodes. And, and all the ones that I come across that people seem to be really talk about or always show up in groups, a lot of them come from 1988. And then I looked on Wikipedia just for the hell of it and even IMDb and go, just how many horror movies? There's a slew of horror films that came out in, in the late 80s, especially 88 and 89. So I picked 88 and I'm like, yeah, you know, because you got your some of them are sequels. Some that's Child's Play came from, you know, Pumpkinhead, you know, he had all these. Mm-hmm. But you had such a uh, and so people can vote there. It's anonymous. We don't collect any data. It just sends me an email with what was voted on, not who or whatnot. So we got that going on. I got interviews from the podcast uh, uh, coming up. I've got reviews and that all of that you can pretty much catch. Uh, a launch launch off from uh, specialmarkproductions.com or on YouTube under Special Mark Productions as well. We got a lot of stuff there. Our live streams of our podcast are there now. So, uh, yeah, there'll be an interview with a director from uh, Wisconsin, Robert Love. Uh, he's doing a new film, and uh, we talked about his new upcoming film. He had the lead actress on it, and uh, that was a lot of fun to talk about. We did that last night. So Hell yeah. Well, and then anyone who's listening to this show knows where to fucking find me. <laughs> if, you, if you're if you one of the three people that have hung out this long, you know where I am, but the Shameless Picture Show is available everywhere. Podcasts are available. I think we even just got on Amazon and Audible, which oh, is nice. weird because they're, yeah. they're owned by, like, Audible's owned by Amazon, and it's weird they have, like, two different platforms. Weird. Yeah, um, yeah but we're everywhere, We have, and we got some new episodes coming up whenever we get them recorded. Um, and, um, yeah, check it out. Awesome. All right. Thanks again, Mark. Oh, always a pleasure. All right. That was a great episode I had with Mark the Movie Man. So as promised, I am back again to discuss um, a new release from Arrow Video. By the time this is coming out, it's been out for a little bit, but I still think it is definitely worth talking about. I have got the new Arrow release of Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. So... Let's get into it. Back of the box says, For high school sweethearts, Eric and Melody, love's young dream turns into a nightmare when Eric apparently dies in a fire which engulfs his family home. One year later, Melody is trying to move on with her life, taking up a job at the new Midwood Mall along with her friends. But the mall, which stands on the very site of Eric's former home, has an uninvited guest a shadowy, scarred figure who haunts the air ducts and subterranean passageways, hell-bent on exacting revenge, sorry, hell-bent on exacting vengeance on the mall's crooked developers. Directed by Richard Friedman, who did the movies Scared Stiff and Doom Asylum, and featuring star turns from Pauly Shore and Morgan Fairchild, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, swoops onto Blu-ray in an extras-packed edition, which proves that Arrow Video's love for 80s slasher fare never dies. He's there. Behind the wall. Beneath your own feet. You all tried to destroy him. In your greed, you tore everything precious from him. But Eric remembers. What if Eric didn't really die in that fire? And now... Eric will make sure you remember too. Ah! 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 
Eric Matthews is still alive. What do you mean they know? There's no escape from the horror. There was a nightmare at the mall. Eric the Phantom struck. Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. So, Phantom of the Mall. This is one of those movies that I've heard talked about quite a bit, and it's definitely a film that I feel like, for lack of a better term, is definitely a nostalgia-heavy thing. Uh, I feel like this is a movie that a lot of people saw on VHS for the first time. Sorry, I'm going to get some coffee. It's a film that a lot of people saw on VHS for the first time and fell in love with. It's definitely one of those VHS gems, very much in the way that something like Chopping Mall would be, or Graduation Day, which I absolutely love, or pretty much any of the trauma fair. Um, But there's definitely quite a bit of charm to this film, and that's what I found myself gravitating towards. So this film is about a young woman by the name of Melody, played by Carrie Whitman, who just gets a new job at the mall. And what we find out later as the movie goes on is that this mall was in fact built on the ground that her beloved boyfriend Eric's house formerly stood on. We find out that Eric died in a what we uh, what we believe to be a freak fire that uh, supposedly killed him and his parents, but Melody ended up getting out. Um, much like every other Phantom of the Blank movie, whether it be Phantom of the, you know, uh, Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the Paradise, Phantom of the Megaplex, there is a shadowy figure that is roaming around the location, in this case it being a mall. And we see this shadowy figure steal clothing, he steals a crossbow, and he is kind of just picking off people that are in a wrong place, wrong time type situation, and he is obsessed with the character of Melody. Melody's hanging out with her friends Susie and Buzz, Buzz played by a very young Polly Shore, who are just trying to live their lives and have a good time at the mall, find a job, all that good stuff. Subplot in this film is about um, the, the owner of the mall, his name is Harv, played by Jonathan Goldsmith, and then we also do have, um, God, what was her name? I'm sorry. We have the mayor of the town, who is played by Morgan Fairchild. We are just kind of, uh, you, you can tell that they are up to no good. It takes you a little bit to really start distrusting Morgan Fairchild. But you realize that she's involved with all of Harv's plans. And what we find out is that Eric's childhood home was burnt down by a goon sent by Harv and the mayor. Uh, Mayor Karen Wilton, uh, so that way they can take the the land. The film kind of buries the lead a little bit by letting us know that Eric is still alive. I feel like everyone who was watching this film kind of knew that, but when you have a title like Eric's Revenge, it is kind of a strange choice. You, it's Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Well, we know Eric's going to get his revenge. We know Eric's not gone. It also makes the film sound like a sequel to something that we haven't seen. Uh, ultimately, though, I really found myself enjoying the film. It's not very good. 
but it's also not very bad either. Uh, all the stuff at the mall and the teenagers I actually found myself really enjoying. The kills were a lot of fun, all things considered. Um, my biggest complaint, though, is sometimes just the design of Eric himself, which I also love that his name is Eric Matthews, for any of you Boy Meets World fans out there. Eric's design is a little rough at times. Uh, the mask is kind of cool because he actually t- he destroys the face of a mannequin and uses that as the stereotypical phantom mask, which I thought was kind of cool. But anytime we got to see Eric without his phantom mask and we just saw his grotesque burnt visage, it just didn't quite work for me. Um, and especially because they, they altered the voice of the actor playing Eric, uh, Derek Rydell, um, where he had this really over-the-top, overly produced phantom voice. Um, but there's a lot of 80s goodness to to have on this film. There is um, excessive Bowflex uh, scenes of him working out to explain his super strength. You have scenes of the phantom watching a young Melody roam around the mall from the surveillance cameras. That doesn't quite make sense because... The footage he's watching on the surveillance surveillance I can't talk I can't say this word surveillance cameras makes it sound like the cinema verite like there's a camera crew following her. Um, there's also a phenomenal song by the Vandals called Phantom of the Mall that I liked quite a bit. It's pretty much everything you'd expect from a movie called Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It's a great time. It's a lot of fun to watch. Just go with rather low expectations. This is definitely a nostalgia film for a lot of people, but it's also a film that I think is best taken in with a group, just so you can appreciate how wacky and over the top it is all right and then we got the picture quality of phantom of the wall eric's revenge i'm going to quote this directly from the booklet that arrow supplied with the the movie phantom of the wall eric's revenge has been exclusively restored by arrow films and is presented in its original 185 to 1 aspect ratio with stereo audio all restoring work was carried out by R- by Restore Studios in London. An original 35mm interpositive was scanned in 2K resolution at Technicolor Hollywood. The film was graded and restored at Restore Studios in London. The original stereo mix was remastered from the optical sound negatives. Original editing to produce the TV cut and composite fan cut, which combines footage from both the theatrical and TV cuts, was performed by Mark Morris. An SD video transfer was sourced to present the content unique to the TV cut. So, an interpositive was used for this film. And while I'm no expert on the difference between using a film negative, uh, uh, original print, and a film interpositive, the little bit I do know is an interpositive is, uh, sorry, internegative is realistically only used for one step in the filmmaking process. It's used to make an interpositive, um, which is then used to strike a final cut. So from the little bit I understand and the little bit I've done some research on, anytime that you scan a film from an internegative, um, Sorry, and it, I'm getting my 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 things mixed up. This film was was, was scanned off interpositive, and that is used then to uh, to make it internegative. Um, regardless, anytime the interpositive is used to to um, make a new print of a film or to make a new Blu-ray of a film, it's traditionally not going to be as crisp as using a true negative of the film. But, all things considered, this film did look really good. I really liked the colors on this film. 
um, when you watch one of these 80s slashes, you really kind of hope that it has those those wonderful neons and those wonderful pastels, and this film does in spades. I also thought the the grain reproduction was really quite good, because uh, sometimes with these films, the grain can be a little distracting, but I'd rather have the grain than them smooth it over with uh, digital noise reduction and then sharpening, which some other companies do. Um, I've always been very, uh, very fond of Arrow for not doing this i'm sure there's always going to be a little bit of grain reduction on some discs but it's whether or not how noticeable it is uh there's a little bit of fuzziness to the film it does it never looks as sharp as you feel like it should but you also don't ever lose out on detail which i really appreciate some of the dark scenes struggle a little bit with fine detail but other than that i was quite happy my biggest complaint comes from um the LPCM 2.0 track that comes on the disc, um, mainly because, according to the booklet, and I, I tend to trust Arrow, that it's supposed to be a stereo, uh, stereo reproduction of the original soundtrack. To me, and this, maybe this is just me and my system, which I'm running it through a Sony receiver with Klipsch speakers, the... Audio track realistically felt like a mono track, a 2.0 mono track, because I don't think I ever got anything that went to the left and right speakers, and I never got anything that went next to went to the rear speakers. And I know because at, when I was watching this film, I was sitting right underneath the rear speakers, so I would have known if they were activated. Stereo track, tr- realistically, with my 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 Dolby Pro Logic two turned on should have had something come to those rear speakers but everything was pinpointed directly to the middle so i'm not saying arrow is wrong i'm just wondering if it's a very very sparse stereo track and anything that might have spread to the left and right was so minuscule that i didn't notice it i figured i would at least hear it during the vandals track phantom of the mall but or the score but i didn't ever hear any of that to me like i said it sounded very much like a mono track whether or not that's a mistake i couldn't tell you i'm just going off of what i heard so special features say there's three versions of the film there's the original theatrical cut which is the one i watched a tv cut and a bonus composite fan cut fan spelt p-h-a-n which as i said before uses uh footage from the theatrical cut and the tv cut and mixes all together into one mega cut. High definition Blu-ray 1080p presentation, original uncompressed stereo audio, optional English subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing, a 60-page fully illustrated perfect bound booklet featuring new writing by Daniel R. Budnick and Amanda Reyes, six postcard-sized lobby card reproductions, limited edition packaging with reversible sleeve, original and newly commissioned artwork by Justin Osborne, and a fold-out double-sided poster. And then on the theatrical cut, there it's a brand new 2K restoration of the original theatrical cut from 35mm film elements, a brand new audio commentary from director Richard Friedman, moderated by filmmaker Michael Felsher, a brand new audio commentary with disc producer, uh, I think it's Ewan, Ewan Kant, and film historian Arthur and author Amanda Reyes, which I've not listened to yet, but I always like Amanda Reyes. Auto interviews of composer Stacy Woodwitz and associate producer Robert J. Coster. Then there's a feature called Shop Till You Drop, the making of Phantom of the Mall. It's a brand new making of documentary featuring interviews of director Richard Friedman, screenwriters Scott J. Sh- uh, Schneid, and Tony Mickelman. 
actors Derek Rydell and Gregory Scott Cummins, filmmaker Tony Caden, and special effects creator Matthew Mungle. This is actually a really nice little featurette, and it's really amusing to listen to the two screenwriters talk about their original interpretation of the film, how they would have made it, and then how it was taken away from them. I'm not going to lie, at times they did sound a little upset that they never got to make their version of the film. They truly believe it would have changed things completely and it would have been a significantly better film. Um, But maybe it might not have been the cult film that it turned out to be. Who knows? Uh, But they do definitely do sound a little miffed that they never got to make their version of the film. And then there's a feature called The Vandals Go to the Mall, an interview with Joe Escalante of punk band The Vandals on the creation of the film's theme song. If you're a fan of old school punk uh, or The Vandals themselves, it's a must-watch. They, uh, Joe Escalante actually goes through the entire history of the band and how the song came to be. Alternate deleted scenes, trailers, image gallery, Scott J. Sh- uh, Schneid and Tony Mickelman's original script and associated special effects storyboards by Alec Gillis and Tony Woodruff, which is the BD-ROM content. And then, as I said, there's the TV and fan cuts. It's a brand new 2K restoration of the TV cut with standard definition inserts for the footage unique to this version. Composite fan cut combining footage from both theatrical and TV cuts of the film. Um, Looks like there's only about a couple minute difference between each version, but still, if you love Phantom of the Mall and you want to see it in in its most complete version, that is the way you watch it. So ultimately, I really enjoyed Phantom of the Mall. I still, like I said, don't think it's a great movie, but I do think it lives kind of in that sweet spot of something like Chopping Mall, where it's just a fun movie to return back to and I think would make, uh, according to my friend Nico, uh, Nico Aldrich, who's been on the show before, it makes a phenomenal double feature with Chopping Mall for Black Friday. So thank you guys very much for listening. You know how to find us. Check us out on Patreon. We have a new episode coming out soon where me and Nick will be discussing some new episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, not new episodes, but we'll be discussing some episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate you. Bye. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Byers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.